Hello everyone, welcome. Thank you all for coming. It's good to see people here on time. a sincere interest in participating in this session. Thank you. I'm here today with Chris. Chris has recovered from his sickness somewhat. He says he still has some symptoms, so he's sacrificing his own rest for our benefit. Sickness is a big part of suffering. The Buddha said the absence of sickness, freedom from sickness, is the greatest gain. And of course, there's This is a time when we can all appreciate that. It's not some foreign conceptual theoretical idea, sickness, health. It's something that we're faced, faced with day to day for the past months, nine months, eight months. It's one of the four Devadutta, the Buddha said. One of the four messenger, divine messengers. Divine, they're they're so so precious that they are considered divine. Of course, sickness is not a precious thing. Sickness is a horrible thing. But the precious what's precious is the knowledge. What's precious is the the foresight to understand that this is a part of our lives. It's not just something that happens to other people. It's precious in that it's very rare and very valuable. And if someone had that foresight before an, a pandemic, before a disaster, they would be much better prepared for it. People who are ignorant, who don't have this valuable commodity of knowledge, of wisdom, of understanding, they're very poorly prepared for suffering, prepare, poorly prepared for calamity. So when we, we we look at the world now, there's so much stress and suffering. It feels like we're living in a time when the amount of sheer hopelessness and overwhelming suffering is just at its limit. Uh, almost hard to believe well, no overwhelming to think, to, to hear to, I haven't I haven't experienced such calamity yet but to read other people's stories to hear, to talk to other people to look at the statistics to read the news if you if you look at the headlines it's easy to become overwhelmed it's easy to it's not hard to 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 get a sense of how much suffering is out there 
I can only imagine how it is for someone who is living in poverty or destitution and someone in their family gets sick or they get sick and unable to find help, assistant, people who have to choose between food and health care, people who see their family get sick and die, 200,000 people dead in America from this, America alone, I don't know how many in Canada, not as many I guess. But, and, and it might sound callous to say this, I don't think the problem is the pandemic. The problem isn't the sickness. Talk about sickness. Uh, I, I suppose it's not a contest. There can be many problems at once. But the problem of the sickness is far, far overshadowed by a much bigger problem and if if that much bigger problem or those much bigger problems were solved people would still die from the pandemic but there'd be far less suffering far less death of course but, but also far less suffering so we ha you have to understand how how profound it is to say for the Buddha to say that the problems, the problems in life, the cause of suffering is, is, our, is our own craving. Well, more specifically, it's greed, anger, delusion. These are the cause of suffering. It sounds somewhat trite and I've had people criticize this idea of saying that even if a person doesn't have you know if you doesn't doesn't get angry themselves or greedy themselves or deluded themselves, people still cause horrible suffering. And it doesn't help you when you're sick, they say. Of course it does help you when you're sick. You suffer far less when your mind is not suffering as well, right? But we're fixated on external causes. That person hurt me. This person hurt me. These people are the problem. The system is the problem. Systems, systems are so problematic. Systems are like the machines that... It's like that movie, The Terminator... People created these machines and then you didn't even need people anymore. The suffering was all caused by the machines. Machines that didn't even have minds caused all the suffering, right? But we don't we don't have to even dismiss that, because you can. You can say, well, a person who gets sick and dies from COVID or any illness, cancer, can suffer far less, or you might even say not suffer at all if they're if they're enlightened, if their mind is pure. But that's not even the whole of it. All of the problems, the systems and the people in charge and the politics and the economics, it's all caused. All of it, all the problems with the systems and the people. It's all still greed, anger, and delusion. Our hatred of each other, our fighting, our wars, our conflicts, and our craving, craving that leads us to manipulate and lie and cheat, becomes a part of our psyche becomes part of good people's psyche as well. You might say, oh, you're a good person, but you got to lie and cheat and manipulate if you want to survive, and so you become part of the problem. You'll never solve it unless you purposefully, purposefully 
refrain. They say things are going to get, the Buddha said things are going to get much worse. I don't know what that means, but whether they've already gotten much worse or whether they're going to get much worse than that, than this. They've been bad before, right? World War II was horrific, if you want to do some studying about the death and destruction and just outright suffering of World War II. Of course, the Holocaust, and, and not just the Holocaust, the amount of death and destruction. It's been bad before. But he said it's going to get worse, and then how it's going to get better is people are going to refrain. They're going to put their foot down and endure hardship, but they're going to say, this is the problem, and I refuse. And they're going to give up evil. The next Dhammapada verse, if I ever start doing Dhammapada verses again, and I assume I will eventually, addresses this. It talks about how much easier it is to live immoral. It's so easy if you're an immoral individual. Someone who is moral and ethical has a hard time of it. They can't just do whatever they want. They can't lie and cheat and manipulate to get what they want. So they have to suffer. This is what it's going to take. This is where the solution is going to come when we all start to opt out of the system. And that when our view starts to change. So, I guess I wanted to talk about this to sort of give some encouragement. That wasn't very encouraging. But the encouragement is that not that the world is going to get better or that it's not so bad or something like that. The world is bad. I think there's a lot of bad in the world. A lot of bad things happening, a lot of suffering. The encouragement is that our path, our path doesn't lie in that direction. We can, of course, free ourselves from a great amount of suffering through meditation, through mindfulness. But also we are a part of the solution when we undertake the right path. That if you're on the right path, you're part of the solution. You don't have to keep telling yourself, like, any day now, it's going to get better. Here I'm, they said I'm following the right path. You know. It might be bad for a long time. It could get worse. Probably get worse, but we can encourage that, be encouraged, even if it's a sacrifice, with all the people who have sacrificed themselves. There are instances, I'm sure, where people, well, we know of instances of martyrs to a cause. What would a Buddhist martyr look like? I think there's room for Buddhist martyrdom as well. But a Buddhist martyr is someone who engages in peace, who has no enemies, even when there are enemies all around. Who has no violence when there is violence all around. Who has no hatred when everyone hates. Who doesn't lie or cheat or manipulate when everyone lies and cheats and manipulates. We become like oil and water. We don't mix. Just don't mix. We might become a martyr, but... It really is irrelevant. Some people will become martyrs. Some people will change the world, see the world around them change. Some people will live a good life. 
If we were Christians, I would say we all have our cross to bear. But I'm not a Christian, so I won't say that. But the idea is there. It's not really a cross to bear. We all undertake something that is, it is uh, exciting, that is encouraging, invigorating, enlightening, is, is lightening, that brings peace, allows us to live in peace. We find the path that allows us to be like oil and water, not mixed with all the all the oily stuff in the world it would be like the water or maybe the oil we float on top I don't know alright enough talk now I'm going to ask that we cut off the chat no more chatting in the chat and I won't do any more chatting as well Chris is going to ask questions if you have them you post them Chris will speak them and I will answer them. Everybody else, take up a mindful frame of mind. No more chatting. Any chatting will be deleted. Any talk that isn't a question will be deleted. Be mindful when you post questions. Try to use proper grammar and so on. All right, I'm ready when you are, Chris. All right, let's begin. Will you talk about the importance of posture in meditation? There are four postures, walking, standing, sitting, and lying. And you can be mindful in any one of them. That's not the question you asked. I understand that that's not what you were asking, but that's what's important about posture. What you're thinking about, I think, which I assume you're thinking about, is not really important. Whatever posture you're in, Yata, yata, and I can't remember the rest. <laughs> yata, yata means however. Yata, yata, he's. Hmm. Anyway, it's in the. Baharito, I think is the word, is, is, is sent. However, you, wherever the mind is disposed, wherever the mind is put, whatever position it's in. I can't help but perceive voices or spirits through quantum physics. Is it distracting my meditation? It is distracting my meditation very much. What should I do? Um, well, I would suggest first to try and come to terms with the fact that you're conceptualizing. What you're, uh, what you're experiencing is either a perception or a sound. It has nothing to do with quantum physics, spirits, or voices. Even my voice, let's under, try and understand what I'm saying. My voice is not a voice. What you are experiencing is not my voice. You are experiencing sound, even as I'm talking to you now. If you perceive a spirit, that's just a perception. It's just something that's happening in your mind. Just as you perceive when a person walks into the room, you're not actually perceiving a person, even though you might say, well, the person's in the room. That's not really what you're experiencing. You're experiencing some kind of mental conception. There's a person in this room. Same goes with spirits. Through quantum physics is just your interpretation of it. It's not actually part of the experience. We're not interested in what is the cause, what is the reason. So in this instance, you have to be able to separate your mental conceptions from the actual experience. The actual experience is hearing or perceiving. If you're perceiving, you would say like knowing or perceiving or thinking. If you hear something, you would say hearing, hearing. Nothing distracts your meditation. No experience distracts your meditation. It becomes an object of meditation. You apply mindfulness to it as an object. Once it's gone, then go back your basic object but you don't ever try to ignore or avoid or remove an object take every object as the object of meditation 
that's all he do. What is the difference between noting and justifying? Noting some inappropriate liking feels like letting it be and saying not a big deal. Isn't it dangerous? I'm noting the fear and thinking too. Well, it is different from how we normally re respond to problems. We normally freak out about them and try to fix them. Uh, but that isn't the Buddhist path. We're not trying to fix our problems. We're not trying to fix ourselves. And it's not justifying, but I can see where you might think that it's it's it feels like that because you're so used to trying to fix your problems. Something's wrong with you, you should fix it. And so I just ask, well, how's that working out for you? When you try to fix all your problems, it, it doesn't really work. It's not the solution. The way to solve your problems is to understand them. And that's what noting leads to. It doesn't lead to justifying. It leads to understanding. If something's wrong and you understand it, you would never justify it, of course. How could it lead to justifying if you understood it? If you understood it and you justified it, that would mean that it's not wrong, right? Because you understood it. If you justified it and it was wrong, that means you don't understand it. So I make the claim that if you observe it and note it, remind yourself about its basic nature, you're going to see it so clearly that you'll understand it and you'll understand what is appropriate and inappropriate. There's no such thing as inappropriate. Well, I mean, there are inappropriate, yeah, so liking. But you'll see that. And the only way to be free from it is not to fix it, but to understand it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't give rise to inappropriate liking if you understood it. You just wouldn't. So is it dangerous? No, not at all dangerous. It's the opposite of dangerous. It's much safer because it makes you less inclined towards it when you understand it. It's very dangerous to try and ignore it, to try to control it. That can be very dangerous. How are emotions classified? Anger, joy, worry, fear. And should we focus on them as sensations in the body? No, they are not sensations in the body. They are paired often with, or lead often to, sensations in the body, but they're they're distinct. Anger is not the sensation, but it's very much associated with sensations. So you note one or the other. If you're angry, just note anger. If you feel in the body pain or heat or whatever the anger produces, so you're feeling hot or whatever. If you're worried and then and then the body becomes tense, say tense or say worried, doesn't matter which. I get lost in thoughts, and when I come back to the present moment, I'm not even aware where my mind wandered. It's like there was a timeout for a while in my head. Is that okay? What's happening there? Many things could be happening. Uh, but in this case, you get lost in thought, so that's what's happening there. Being not aware of where your mind wandered is a part of the nature of the mind, the nature of reality. We are not uh, atomic, indivisible souls. And so that mind has ceased and that train of thought has been derailed. And a new train of thought has arisen that is not related to that one. And so you can't even really remember it so much. Memory to it comes perhaps uh, little or not at all, so you don't know what happened. And seeing that sort of thing is a very sort of important important sort of insight. It helps you to start to let go of the belief in, in self and the need to control and be in charge. It leads to a more nuanced understanding of, or a more subtle and delicate understanding, refined understanding of reality as being made up of discrete experiences 
that are chaotic, complicated, and, un and often unrelated. Is that okay? You should never really worry about what's okay. There is no okay, not okay. What's not okay is if you stop noting things, if you stop being objective, if you stop uh, observing things as they are. Try to keep doing that. And as long as you're doing that, there's no okay, not okay. Are meditation stats and streaks harmful or beneficial to our practice? I don't know what that means. Is that like our, our website that takes that or or apps that keep your stats and streaks? I assume that's what you're talking about, right? There's certain apps that keep track of your stats and streaks. I wouldn't use such things, but let me see, could someone use it beneficially? I wouldn't. I would say that's reliance on the past. I would say it's a bad habit. It may be something that can keep you a, a, as a crutch in the beginning, but I would look to, to someone for someone to outgrow that rather than rely on it over the long term. So it's okay if you're using that sort of thing in the beginning, but try and outgrow it. Try and come to just be a, present now. What are you doing right now? Stats and streaks don't mean anything. I have problems staying with a meditation object because of fear of scary, superstitious stuff. Any advice? You don't have to stay with one object. I don't know if you've read our booklet. It might give you a different perspective on meditation. So I'd recommend that. If you're interested in doing an at-home course, you could learn how to go through a course and we could go through some of the techniques with you. But if you're afraid in our tradition, you would just say afraid, afraid. And that would be your object. Do you recommend learning from multiple teachers or focusing on one? I have noticed there are contradictions between teachings when listening to multiple teachers. I think you can guess what the answer is going to be. There's no benefit from co from hearing contradictory things, right? So you'll have to pick one. What you can do is pick one for a while and see how it goes. And then if it doesn't work, just pick the other one, right? And hopefully one of them got the right answer. How do we note delusion? I can see anger and greed when it arises, but not clear about delusion. Well, that that is delusion. <laughs> that is, I mean, I'm not being critical, but that there is the essence of delusion, the, the, the lack of clarity, the doubt, the uncertainty. The lack of clarity is, is delusion. Delusion isn't really something you can note. It's what keeps you from noting. It's the opposite of mindfulness. When you look at the Satipatthana Sutta, it says... Vinaya loke abhijja dolmanasang. So giving up greed and anger in regards to the world, in regards to, to our experiences. Why doesn't it mention delusion? Because delusion is like darkness. Mindfulness is like the light. When you shine the light in the darkness disappears. What you can notice things like confused, doubting, unsure, worried, all of that is delusion based. Really, all all defilements are delusion based. So even when you're noting greed or anger, you're you're curing the delusion there, because it's delusion that leads to those things. Because you don't understand them perfectly, if you understood them, they wouldn't arise. In walking meditation. How does one decide on pace? Well, you do have to have some default sense of it being slow. And by, by slow, I just mean methodical. So slow enough so that the mind can note the beginning and the end of the movement, each movement. That's it. If it feels slow, 
particularly slow, and that would be slower than that. Like, I know this is how slow it needs to be. Isn't that slow? But slow enough to note. And if I'm going slower than that, and it feels slow, like I don't need to go this slow to note it, then it's too slow. There's no benefit from going slower and slower, thinking you're going to note it better or better, or you're going to stay with it more and more. That's not the point. Just long enough so that in your, when you are focused on it, you can see the beginning and the end of it. That's not too slow. Any faster than that, where it feels like you're going a little too fast, or fast, is too fast. Basically, once you've got that default sense of it being, you know, slow enough, then whenever it feels slow, or whenever it feels fast, that'll be too slow or too fast. Basically, once you've got a general understanding of have a good rhythm, a good, not rhythm, but a good cadence, a good speed, then you'll know, like, if it feels slow, then it's too slow. If it feels fast, it's too fast, basically. But it'll be slower than we normally walk, just because that's too fast to be able to really note the beginning and the end of things. Any tips to help with dullness? I find my attention is not clear and sharp often during my sits. Will continued practice resolve this issue? I mean, it's not really an issue. It's just the state of your mind. And even... Well... Let's just say it's, it's, it's not really a big problem. Your mind is going to be dull sometimes. It's going to be sharp sometimes. Really all you have to do is note when it's dull, note when it's sharp. You'll find it gets sharper as you note, as you, or as you practice over time. How do we know if we are noting properly? There is no properly. If you're doing it, you're doing it. It's not like you can choose or you can fine-tune it or anything like that. Fine-tuning comes from seeing clearly. It will get better, and it's really not about adding any quality. It's about subtracting quality. So what you're going to see is what you're doing wrong, basically, until you're just doing it right. It's really a very simple thing. The problem is our minds add a lot in, like, greed, anger, and delusion, basically. When we speak of getting rid of the hindrances, does that just mean relinquishing our reactions to them? Well, they are reactions. The hindrances are reactions. So it's not your reactions to them. That's a part of it, because we get we have reactions to our reactions, of course. But getting rid of the hindrances is seeing clearly, or really technically getting rid of the hindrances is, well, it depends what you mean by getting rid of them. You can suppress them in the sense that they never arise. You can stop them from arising by focusing, and you can focus on a conceptual object to do that. When we focus on ultimate reality, our experiences, we're also just suppressing them. But the suppression is more meaningful because the object of our our awareness is, is the object of the hindrances. It's the things that we react to. So when we see them more clearly, getting rid of them, on a, on the real level is is that seeing clearly when you see things clearly you don't react to them so for example when we experience pain and we are mindful pain pain the more clearly we understand pain and see it for what it is uh, the less of a reaction there is the less of a tendency there is to react to it and just a clarity in general about experience clarity about the nature of hindrances how they're useless how they're harmful how they're unskillful. Just that general understanding helps to rid us of them, which really just means stop them from having a potential to arise. When I note something, I tend to reassure myself and say, it's just hearing, etc. Should I stop it? Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. It's not terrible. It's just not necessary and not not really helpful. It's 
like trying to make the practice better somehow. You have to leave yourself open to overreacting, for example. Like if you say pain, pain, and your mind says, yeah, it's terrible pain. Well, you might try to counteract that by saying, it. no, it's just pain. But we don't want to do that. We want to learn about our reactions as well. So just be neutral about it. It's pain. See how your mind reacts. No, it's terrible. And then note that, disliking or upset. Don't try and create some some equanimity or something. Some some don't don't artificially create that sort of state. What is a thought moment and what is its significance? Doesn't have any significance. It's a thought moment. Not sure how much I can elaborate. I mean, a thought is a thought. It arises, it ceases, it's impermanent suffering and non-self. It ultimately has no significance, and that's really the, the goal to see that. Because we give things significance. And there's good, bad, me, mine, right, wrong, true, false. In meditation we see it as a thought that it arises, ceases, is impermanent, unsatisfying, uncontrollable, without significance. How do I deal with the emotion of anger that arises or lingers during my meditation? It seems to be rooted in being in contact with unpleasant people. So people aren't aren't the cause of your anger. The cause of your anger is your reaction to the experiences of them. So obviously certain people don't make you angry and it would be much nicer if everyone was like that, but as you can see, that's not the nature of the universe, unfortunately. So your only alternative is to change the way you look at the people who you do experience you do encounter. Things arising and lingering is not the problem. It's not a problem. Just try and see it when it arises, see it when it lingers, see it when it does go away or doesn't go away. That helps you see that the mind is not under your control and that's a big part of helping you to let go. When you see how forcing things, because anger is a part of forcing, right? Anger is involved with the trying to get rid of things, plotting to get rid of people, I don't know. Uh, and so you stop doing that once you see that there's there's no point in getting upset because you're not in control even of your anger. How do I know if I am making any progress? Should I continue? Should I stop if I don't see any difference? You'll know you're making progress if you have less greed, less anger, and less delusion. But no, you should never stop because you don't see any difference. And you can you can valid you can uh, you can accept that because you know that you're doing the right thing. That's what you have to figure out, is doing the right, what is the right thing to do? And a person who practices mindfulness can see that it's the right thing to do, that it's actually a pure mind, it's a clear mind, it's better than the alternative of reacting to everything. That's what you have to work for, work towards. Work to find the right way, don't worry about where it's going. Look at the quality of the way of life, quality of your interaction with things. And focus always on that, always on the quality of your interaction, the quality of now. That'd make a good catchphrase, the quality of now. 
That's all you have to focus on. When the quality of now is perfect, you reach the goal. I could not make it a habit in spite of following the books. Should I take the advice from an instructor in your website? I would recommend it. I would recommend considering it. I don't want to toot my own horn, but or toot our own horn. But I'm also the only instructor at the moment. We've been try we I was talking about we were talking about Hopefully we can find some way to open up the at-home course to at least one other instructor. That would be interesting. But I'm not sure how we, that will work yet. It might be that we could have some of the sessions with both of us. I could have someone listening to start just so we were on the same page. And once they got a sense of how I do the online course, the at-home course, then we're clear that it's not a that they're able to do it, that they don't have any problems with it, and then uh, we need to change the interface so that there's another instructor. That you're clear. I think you'd have to be clear which instructor you're getting, because probably some people don't want to have anything to do with me, so they'd rather have the other instructor. Uh, but yes, I would recommend at the moment I'm the instructor, so you're welcome to sign up for an at-home course. Seem people seem to get a lot out of it. Speaking of which, if you did get something out of the at-home course, we have a testimonials page that I don't think a lot of people ever use. Maybe that's because they didn't get much out of it, but I think also because people just didn't know about it. So I'd encourage you to write about your experience on our testimonials. It's in the app because 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 that encourages other people. If you did get something out of it, and I think it's a good thing, otherwise I wouldn't be teaching it. So the fact that other people would say that it's a good thing would be encouraging for people. You could maybe publish it somewhere anonymously, but, but see what people had written about it. I almost never note happy feelings. Why is it so hard to see them as they happen? Maybe you like them? I don't know. It's not hard for everyone. So you just have to practice. But yes, I guess it's hard for a lot of people because of how much we like them. We're used to interacting with them in a different way. See, when unhappy feelings, we, we trigger something in our mind. Something's wrong. What am I going to do? And so the question of doing something comes up. When you feel happy feelings, that question doesn't come up. You don't ever think, oh my God, I'm happy, what am I going to do? Uh, that, that never happens. Is slow, cautious progression better than spontaneous and random contributions towards a goal? Seems like you're overthinking it. Practice is best. Do what you can. Spontaneous and random sounds careless to me. You should be careful. I guess I'd probably lean on the side of slow, cautious progress. I sometimes begin to meditate while I am asleep. What is best to do in such a situation? Wake up, I guess. Probably wake up. Am I harming myself by craving the company of other people? Well, you can answer that for yourself. Try and be mindful of the craving, and you'll see. It's not even so much about harming yourself. Just no matter what you experience, try to be mindful of it. 
and you'll be able to see the nature of it and you'll be able to refine that behavior in such a way that you're more at peace. Is suffering caused by our own mind or thoughts? Please advise. Suffering is caused by craving. It's caused by clinging. It's caused by attachment, reaction. Not all reaction. Some reaction is wholesome. But it's caused by certain reactions by, that, that are based on craving. Some kind of need when a partiality or or need is really the point because if something doesn't if a result doesn't occur then you're upset or if a result does occur you're upset some kind of dependency anisito javiharati try to dwell independent in the world not relying on anything that's the point When I meditate during a long time, I eventually really want to stop because it becomes more and more unpleasant. Would you say it is particularly beneficial to sit through it? I guess I wouldn't recommend sitting for a long time. Sitting, I guess you're saying? Yeah. I would recommend doing some walking first and then sitting. I would recommend, if you're interested in my advice, to try practicing according to our booklet if you haven't might recommend you to do our at-home meditation course. I can't really comment beyond that because I'm not really sure what you're practicing. If it is important to properly discern emotions, how can I reliably discern them? Currently, my diagnosis of an emotion is based on the thought it arises from, that is, inferred from it. Is that appropriate? You might be overthinking things. If you're angry, say angry. If you're greedy, want something, say wanting. If you like something, say liking. If you're worried or afraid, just note that. don't know if you've read the booklet. I recommend you'd start there if you haven't. Is it okay to take your at-home course while participating in other courses? No, I wouldn't recommend that. I mean, if you're talking about meditation courses, yeah, no, I wouldn't recommend that. If you're talking about, like, university courses, that would be okay. As long as you have time to do two hours a day. The beginning is one hour a day, but you have to be prepared to work up to two hours a day over time. And no, you can't shouldn't be practicing any other meditation technique during the time. What is the Buddhist view on loneliness? Countless studies show loneliness and having no friends, relationships, has hazardous health effects for the body and brain. How do you transcend this? I bet I could count the number of studies. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but but I'll, I mean I bring that up because studies show there's a very problematic basis for an argument. Studies can be designed in various different ways and show statistics. Most often, they show statistics, right? So uh, did they show that every single person who was who had no friends, uh, relationships, had hazardous effects? No, probably it was statistical where many of them had that. So you're talking about average people, and the average people don't practice mindfulness. If you're talking about people who are lonely, well, I would say people who are practicing mindfulness tend to not be very lonely. 
so the effects of loneliness wouldn't be felt. Loneliness, what is the view on it? I mean, it's pretty, it's loneliness. It's a yearning, a desire, a craving for something. That's all it is. There's nothing mysterious about it. And yes, that sort of thing is hazardous to one's health. But having no friends, relationships, isn't really the problem. So I, I, mean, I guess I would agree with the general science behind that, that certainly when people are lonely, that's going to be harmful to their health. But the same goes with so many emotions, anger, stress, worry, fear. haven't read the book that I recommend checking it out it's all free we're not trying to get money out of people I always feel like a, one of these online gurus is like buy our booklet for twenty nine ninety nine. <laughs> sign up for a monthly low monthly fee for enlightenment it sounds a lot like that except everything is free we're not here to make money we're not here to get anything from you so don't be shy we've got lots of resources if you're interested if you're not no skin off our back. That's a terrible expression. <laughs> no no harm, no foul. Is that okay? Is it normal that I no longer feel any emotion as vividly as I used to? I wonder if this is progress or a detriment. Normal isn't a thing. We change. We're all unique. There is no normal. It's now normal for you, perhaps, at this time. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. Just try and be mindful of it. Mindful of what does arise. If you're worried about it, then try and note that. If you're wondering, say wondering. What's a good way to keep a solid meditation schedule and stop making up excuses not to? Well, you have to look at why you're making excuses. So you've got defilements, most likely, and those are causing you to react to even the thought of being mindful. So try and be mindful of those. There's probably other things that you'd rather be doing, and so you have to be mindful of those desires. It's not easy. I have no quick fix for you. One thing that psychologically seems to work is find a teacher, do a course with a teacher. But that, I think, is only a first step. You shouldn't rely on that. You do have to do the hard work of eventually taking your future into your own hands. We're too lulled into a sense of security of thinking that everything's going to turn out all right. We have this sort of Hollywood fantasy of a happily ever after. And you know what? There is no happily ever after, as many people had have found out through crippling and horrific tragedy and suffering. There is no happy ever after guarantee. We have to take our future into our own hands and we have to be prepared for a great amount of hardship because that's always a potential. It's always a potential. It's something we'll never be exempt from as long as we're reborn in samsara, the only way is to change our minds. What size should be the touching points on the body in sitting? Should they be on the surface of the body or inside the body? About the size of a coin on the surface of the body. What is difficult in meditation?
have to be a little more specific or a little more clear about what you're asking and why you're asking it. Meditation can be very difficult. It's a challenge because it's not familiar to us. Tell me what your what's what's your concern. How can I reinforce belief in nirvana? The older I get, the more is the appeal from skepticism. How do I deal with this? You don't have to reinforce belief in nirvana. You have to realize it for yourself. But it's not really like it's not a problem to to not know it and to have to have some sort of belief in it because it's all uh, the same path. The path is the path is of the same nature as the goal, really. The path is the path to pure uh, is the purity path. So you're you're cultivating purity, and the goal is purity. So nirvana is this the most pure and sublime and peaceful state. It's hard even for it to say that because it it doesn't even get there. But it has it it's it's nothing separate from. It's, it's nothing separate or mysterious. It's not like nirvana is something that arises in your mind. Nirvana is cessation. It's when the mind lets go. So you don't have to even worry about it. You just have to see things so clearly that your mind is ready to let go, that your mind ceases to cling. If skepticism appeals to you, you should note that, just as you note everything, everything else. How focused on attainments should you be in meditation practice? I feel like I've already answered this one. Focus on the practice. Don't focus on attainments. Sorry, I don't know if I'm giving... I feel like I'm giving very short answers. I hope that's still useful. I'm trying to... Trying to answer the questions. What is your opinion on the practice of combining ideas of various Eastern philosophies into a personal set of beliefs? No, pass. That one I'm not going to try to answer. Do we have... Wait, if we don't have any... It's, we're done now. So if we don't have any important ones, we will stop. Find me the important ones, the ones where I say, oh, this person needs an answer for their practice. The questions about one's own active practice have all been answered, Bonte. All right. Then everyone can talk again. No more questions. We can all say sad. Good questions. I hope it didn't sound like I was dismissive. I mean, I think there's not a lot to say about many things. I hope it didn't sound like I was dismissive of, of questions. Some questions I think I did dismiss and have to be dis dismissed. They're not really all that important. It's not that you were a bad person for asking it. It's just that you have to direct your attention elsewhere. Asking questions is not the be-all, end-all, of course. It's not a replacement for the practice. The only reason you need to ask questions is so that you can get back to practicing. So I hope people aren't coming here thinking, oh, good, we get to do our weekly question asking again. It should be, oh, I wish I didn't have to come here, but I have some questions, and so I need answers. But some good good questions and certainly it's, you can see there's a lot of sincerity people here are sincere about their practice sincere about their path 
So I appreciate that. I appreciate you all and thank you, Chris, for helping. May you all, may we all find peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Sadhu. Sadhu. <laughs>